all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. For the worst and the more the most common. So there's Borrelia. So there's Borrelia burgdorferi. That's Lyme. There's um, Borrelia meonia. That's a different type of Lyme. Um, and then there's other Borrelia species that that cause uh, Lyme-like symptoms or a relapsing fever. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your Lime Journey Guide, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 234 with the CEO of Technology Labs, Heather Zerlong. Also welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, hello, hello. And in this episode, you will learn three main things. Why getting the tick that bit you tested is easier than getting yourself tested. The three Lyme-like diseases that aren't going to be picked up by a standard Lyme test, and why even knowing what type of tick bit you can help narrow down what you are sick with. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout out to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Woohoo! Makes me happy every time I hear that. <laughs> Aurora and I really, really appreciate you tuning in, and we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lyme Ninja Radio. You are now officially a Lyme Ninja. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week we've had listeners tune in from Serbia to Saudi Arabia and from Norway to New Zealand. Go all blacks. <laughs> okay, we're going to test a little bit you rugby more. rugby fiend. <laughs> I'm a new convert to rugby. Don't ask how they got started. It's a long story. <laughs> All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Heather Zerlong. Heather Zerlong is a research scientist at the Colorado State University and CEO of Technology Labs. Heather founded Technology in 2014 with the goal of making high-quality, comprehensive laboratory testing for ticks available to everyone. Since then, Technology has been testing ticks from all over the U.S., it's kind of scary. She talks about all the different rise and levels of ticks being sent around, and they're trying to put together in a map to show what's found where, all the diseases. And it's pretty incredible. 
what's being done out there. And that's why I wanted to talk to Heather. We met her at the main Lyme conference, which was awesome. And Heather was awesome. If you know, if you've got the tick, I mean, it's like the Holy Grail, right? You found it. You can send it off and get tested. Heather's lab does a great job. It's super cheap. You're going to want to get it done. If you know what's in the tick, you know what may have been transmitted. It's really that simple, right? It's worth doing the tick check, going through all that trouble just to find those little boogers. The other thing you can do if you have ticks on animals or you find one around your property or in your house somewhere, send it off. Again, it's so cheap. It's not a big deal. And you can see what's in your community. You can see what's around you. So if you do happen to come down with Lyme or somebody in your house comes down with Lyme or you've already got Lyme, right, then you now know what to look for in terms of co-infections, what likely co-infections are. So it's a really big deal. All right. That said, let's dive right into our interview with Heather Zerlong. Heather, this is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, McKay. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you today. You're very welcome. I was so excited to get to meet you at the Midcoast Lime Conference back, geez, it seems like forever, but it's only a few weeks ago now, isn't it? And to yeah. hear what hear what you're doing in the realm of testing ticks and what you offer there. But before we get into this, I, I have a kind of personal question here. So we hear a lot these days about women and STEM, and you're one of those women. How did you get interested in hardcore science? Well, I guess it was a bit incremental. You know, I grew up in Colorado, and I grew up in the country, and I spent a lot of time outdoors. And so... I've always was curious about biology. And so I went to college and did, you know, studied environmental biology, but then I joined a lab that studied genetics in E. coli. And I just loved it. And I just got this passion for um, genetics and um, how, how genes can regulate a cell and how they're, how they're just inherited and they evolve and, um, and so from there, I just became more of a molecular investigator, and and then it just grew. So then I went to graduate school um, in Utah, and I studied, again, the human genome and how the genome is packaged. So if you take the one cell of a human and you unravel the entire chromosome, it's about a meter in length. So how in the world does that size of a molecule get compacted into the size of a single cell? And then how is that cell able to access different, different regions of that genome to be able to express proteins to make a cell what it is? So that sort of thing just drove a passion. And it was that passion that just continued. And, and science is such a big part of my life. It's, it's almost like a second spouse to me. It's just uh, every day. So you but got I was just, I was fired, lucky, you know, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> fired up and turned <laughs> on. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. You know, no one was, I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And I, 
failed in a lot of different ways, but then I just kept pursuing, pursuing uh, answers for questions that I thought were, were significant and important. And the sense of discovery was, was a huge driver as well. So here I am at, you know, 45 years old and, and doing what I love, which is more molecular biology. Okay. So you're this curious looking into genomic stuff and unraveling the DNA. So it's a meter long and squishing it back down into cells. And I mean, that's just an amazing image just, just to think of. Right. And, and even that way, it's like, how do you fit all that information in just to a meter long, you know, proteins kind of things like that's impossible anyway, but let's, that's conversation for another day. Then how do you take all of this and say, you know what, let's open up a lab to test ticks. Well, you know, it really came from this Lyme problem. And when I say this problem is massive. And, you know, in Fort Collins, we have a lot of um, scientists here, um, a lot of tick biologists. But, you know, about five years ago, I became really aware of Lyme disease, not as a patient, but as a scientist, because patients were clearly being ignored. Um, and there was really no, it was obvious to me that there was really no set of standards for both the treatment and, and the risk. And I believe patients were getting very bad advice from their um, physicians about their risk and treatment. Um, and so I knew how to just look at a very basic thing, which would be to look to see if the tick that bit you was carrying Lyme disease. Now, ticks carry other diseases, but Lyme is by far the worst worst uh, threat to public health at the moment. Um, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, and it's not rocket science. It is complicated. Um, you do need to know what you're doing. But this was, it seemed like a logical solution for for those people that were bit by tick and they're wondering what they should do. So that's how technology was, came evolved, like how it was developed. And, um, and since then, it's, we're now testing thousands of ticks and I'm realizing how big of a, actually an education and awareness tool it is. So beyond just personal benefit, this knowledge is now being shared with with communities, so it's reaching a very broader, a broader audience, and it's sort of crowdsourced um, data, which can be shared and used, and and communities can understand and validate um, what they're observing in patients, or or sometimes it's it's peace of mind that yeah, that tick does not carry Lyme disease, so maybe your treatment should be different, um, that sort of thing. So that's let me what what I want to say. Oh, I want to go back. That's what I want to do. So you said it be, you became aware as a scientist that there was a problem here. Now, a lot of scientists look at the same information and come to different conclusions. So, what was it about what you were hearing? Was it a personal story? Was it news stories? Were it scientific articles? Where did you get this information that you? that prompted you, that motivated you, inspired you to do something about it? 
there was probably a lot of little things that came together all around the same time. Um, for instance, I was having dinner with um, a friend uh, and a colleague now um, who works out in the field dragging for ticks. So the tick testing is not a new invention. It's actually been done by many, many different labs in many, many different ways, mostly as just surveillance. And he was doing surveillance work and he said he was in New Jersey and um, he was he was attacked by basically a swarm of lone star ticks. And me being a novice, I, I didn't even know how many different species of ticks there were at the time. I said, well, what do you, what do you do if you've been bit? You know, are, are, do you, what do you do? Do you take antibiotics? Do you, he said, well, I take it to the lab and I get it tested. And it occurred to me, it's like, well, everyone should have access to that information. And, and then I learned that there were a lot of, there's a lot of criticism early on about tick testing. And maybe there still is that, you know, well, you don't know if it was transmitted and, you know, um, it's expensive. And I said, well, you know, I thought to myself, well, it doesn't have to be that expensive. And if it's a good lab, they're going to be right most of the time, especially if you look at, you know, the um, the serology tests that are, are cur currently being used for clinical um, diagnosis of Lyme. That's wrong, you know, nearly half the time. So it's a, better than that. Um, so I ignored those criticisms um, because I thought this made just logical sense to me. But around the same time, also, I just, I wanted my own lab, but I just, I didn't think that this was a, a good project for an academic setting um, because Lyme wasn't getting supported um, through the regular funding agencies. So I decided to make it a private venture. At this, so there was a couple different reasons at the same time. Well, just we're glad they all came together at the right time. <laughs> now, you mentioned a couple times kind of the surveillance aspect. Do you have a database of like the zip codes of where these ticks are sent from? Yeah, so we're um, in our first year, we are collecting from, from the person who submits a tick, we are collecting um, county. Um, now we've, we've, we're going down to zip code. So now when you submit a tick with us, you put your zip code and, and, um, or wherever you were bit so that, that we have that location. So we're interested in the location. And then I also, we also asked whether you, you were using a repellent and which type of repellent or not using repellent. Cause we just want to understand how, how, you know, people are getting bit, where they're getting bit and also where these diseases are hiding. So we've, we're finding that there's um, hotspots. So, you know, one area could be have a high prevalence of, of let's say, Lyme and anaplasma, and then, you know, take, take it to the nearby state and it's, it's very low. So there's, there's definitely hotspots and they, they tend to be dynamic through the season. So this is, this is powerful information, you know, because it's passive surveillance, it's hard to give rates because we are not taking an area and looking at 100 ticks. We're taking a couple ticks from all over the country um, and finding out um, what areas we get more, more pathogens, let's say, or less. Or maybe we'll start to see more Lone Star ticks heading north or in Michigan, um, that sort of thing. So we're interested in the pathogens and the location mostly. 
And and you, you mentioned and you identify the tick as well, yeah? And the type of tick. We do. There's about yeah, there's about ten different species that interact that bite people. And so we, we really see mostly mostly those. But of, of those ten, it's really the lone star, the deer tick, and the American dog tick. Yeah, those, those are, the, are the three that yeah. The three top three species. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you have a map available? Are you publishing a map? Have you gotten that far? I try. Yeah. So I try. I try. So you know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a, there's a lot of um, uh, information um, that needs that goes through our, our, we get the results and we get, you know, about 16 results for every tech that comes in. So we're dealing with a lot of data points. And so I try, I try to get that out as quickly as possible. And I share a little bit on my website, but I also try to send out um, information to our collaborators, which are um, mostly nonprofit organizations that would like to validate that there's Lyme in their area. I mean, believe it or not, I work with um, a group from Western New York. They're called Lyme Western New York. Great, great, great group, great advocates. Um, but they still have their doctors telling them that there isn't Lyme in their area. And so um, they've asked me to, to survey and to send them um, data that's relevant to their county so that they can take these, this data to their um, physicians and other healthcare workers to, to convince them that, in fact, it's not, you know, it currently is there and it's becoming more of a problem in their area. That's, I'm, I'm thinking here, you get a tick that tests positive and it comes from a certain location. You don't know how prevalent it is, but you've disproven that it's not there, right? Very clearly. Okay. Right. It's, it's here. And you think, you know, it's funny though, but people's opinions, doctor's opinion, we had, this is one of my early, early stories here. I was going to a Lyme support group uh, in Chittenango, which is about 45 minutes from where I am right now. And one of the women who was running the group had just gone to her doctor and said, I think I, I got bit again by a tick. And I think I have a, a reinfection of Lyme disease. And the doctor said, uh, no, we don't have Lyme disease in the area, right? Same same thing. And this is central New York. And about a half an hour drive from there, there's a state park in, outside of Syracuse that is just crawling. There's this one street where almost all the children have had Lyme disease on them. It's just crazy. So, it's, it's close enough. But worse than that, across the street from this doctor, it's a little town, Chittenango's a little town, across the street is the veterinarian, and he's testing for Lyme, and he's diagnosing Lyme disease several times a week on the local dogs. And to have those kind of blinders on is so infuriating. You know, it's no wonder people just want to tear their hair out and scream from the rooftops about some of the treatment that they get. Yeah. And so, you know, these reports, I mean, I hear again and again, this this helps patients advocate, you know, validate their concerns because they do hit hit a lot of walls with a lot of doctors. Um, And my advice is usually find a different doctor um, because this one, you know, protect yourself and, and be aware and be aware that you're at risk. 
a friend of mine called and it was about her granddaughter who lives down in Pennsylvania. And I told this story a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth telling again. So they sent a tick off to another lab and it came back positive. And the physician basically said, look, there's, there's nothing, I'm not going to do anything prophylactically. We you know, don't know how long the tick was attached. We don't know if it was present. We'll test your daughter in five weeks. In the meantime, you know, just take a chill pill and, and we'll get back to you on this. Oh, and by the way, if you try to get any treatment outside of our practice here, we'll dismiss you as a patient. And there's, there's that type of, you know, psychological warfare going on, right? It's we're right. And mm-hmm. this is the right way to do it. And we don't want to collaborate and we don't want to address your fears and concerns. And there, you know, there are, there is panic out there and right or wrong, it exists. And to ignore that in, in your patients is, is crazy. So I do hope what you're doing does begin to take the wool off the eyes of some of these groups that are just so entrenched with denying that this is a problem. Now, you also mentioned obliquely that your test, you're testing for more than Lyme disease. So what does your test test for? Yeah, so um, we we don't test for everything. I, I don't know of a lab that can absolutely test for everything. Um, but we test for we, the worst and the, more, the most common. So there's Borrelia. So there's Borrelia burgdorferi, that's Lyme. There's um, Borrelia meonii, that's a different type of Lyme. Um, and then there's other Borrelia species that, that cause uh, Lyme-like symptoms or a relapsing fever. Um, that's Borrelia miyamotoi. And then you have anaplasma. We test for that. We test for um, Babesia microti. Um, we test for uh, Bartonella, Bartonella species. Um, we test for two different um, uh, Ehrlichia. Um, we test for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. And then there's another uh, organism that's like Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. It's called um, Rickettsia parkeri, which is found in the Gulf Coast tick, found in, around the Gulf Coast. Uh, we test for that, and we test for tularemia. So do you, do yeah. you find – how often do you find that positive and where? Uh, Teleremia? Yeah. Oh, it's it's pretty rare. It's, yeah, it's okay. It's pretty rare. It's, it's rare and it's found wherever you'd find um, a Lone Star Tick or American Dog Tick or Rocky Mountain Spotted, uh, um, Rocky Mountain Wood Tick. Oh. But it's mostly found in areas like Arkansas and sort of in the south. Yeah. But you can also get tularemia from other environmental um, threats, like uh, contaminated animals. So tularemia is also found in in rabbits. Okay. By rabbits. Huh. So it's not just a tick-borne disease. I see. And what what are the most common co-infections? I mean, is there one that just kind of stands out? And does that vary by region as well? As in co-infections, you mean things that kind of yeah. So the ticks got yeah. Let's say yeah. Let's say that or or what? Let's start at this point. What's the most common pathogen that you find in the ticks? Is Borrelia the number one? Yeah, Borrelia burgdorferi 
is number one. And then after that, I believe it's uh, Babesia is the next one. And then Anaplasma after that. And all three of those are transmitted by the Izodes uh, species, which is um, a, a genus that encompasses the, um, the deer tick or mm-hmm. the west-legged tick and also the western black-legged tick in California. And we even have some Izodes ticks that carry these pathogens here in Colorado. It's just that those tend to not have this behavior of questing and biting humans as frequently as the deer tick. Um, but we do have Izodes that carry these things as well. And are you finding the deer ticks habitat is expanding? It is expanding. And it's expanding at an alarming rate. I mean, if you, I wish I could show you the map of the expansion, but now, I mean, it used to be very much concentrated in two different foci in the United States, which is the Midwest and then the, um, the Northeast. But those areas are expanding to a point where, you know, we're seeing potential habitat covering half the United States halfway through Kansas. And now at least 50% of the counties in the United States have reported deer tick population. However, most of the Lyme disease is still really focused in the Northeast and the Midwest, but you can still get Lyme. There's the ticks and the Lyme is, is in all of these areas, but probably not at the same uh, rate. Yeah, my, my one of my takes, there's no way of knowing for sure until we get the, the human uh, the pathogen testing on up to speed with where you are with being able to, to test for the ticks. But part of this, I think, is just chicken and the egg. If you don't, if you get the opinion like we, you mentioned the the doctors in the western part of New York State, so that's around the Buffalo area, um, mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, it's not here," so they don't test for it. And so, if you don't test for it, even if you're doing the surveillance test, you know, if you're doing that with a couple hundred people, you'll find it eventually. Somebody will come back positive. You know, it's it's we know it's not a good diagnostic, but it's meant as a surveillance test, not diagnostic. But if they're not even running that because it quote unquote doesn't exist, you don't find it. So how many people are running around misdiagnosed or undiagnosed or combinations who have the wrong diagnosis? They're think they have rheumatoid arthritis or Alzheimer's or MS or one of the other dozens of misdiagnoses going on there. So it's really so the work you're doing in saying, look, you know, it was found in your neighbor. Matter of fact, if you could do it down the zip code, it was found in your county, found in your zip code, then you at least at least you should run the test, dear doctor. <laughs> well, as as you probably know, you know, this technique that we use can be used on on human blood, but problem is is that Borrelia burgdorferi isn't circulating in the blood for for um, a good amount of the time of the infection. So it's hard to find in people. And that's that was probably part of the issue, which is why you have to rely on um, the person's immune system, which we know can vary from person to person quite a bit. And right. those serological tests have failed a lot of people. So yeah, I think that's a big part part of it is that the Borrelia is not circulating in, in one's blood, so it's hard to detect directly. The tick is easy, right? It's either there or it's not. But it's not so easy with people. Yes. We can't smush up people and test everything, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, the other thing you mentioned is the price of testing and how you thought it was a kind of a big deal. And when you told me the price of your test and what you provide for it, I almost choked because I couldn't believe it was so low. So how do, how do you keep the price so low? And why don't you just tell us what the price is too? Because everybody's going to want to yeah. send their ticks to you after that. <laughs> yeah. Our basic test is, is 25 and um, there's some options that go up to 35. And then if you need a quicker turn turnaround, you can, it goes up to 55. A lot of people have asked me this and, you know, PCR is relatively inexpensive. I mean, it, we've been the, the technique of PCR, um, polymerase chain reaction. It's this technique has been used, you know, decades. Um, sure. There's been some advancements so that, you know, I could do more reactions in a single tube and save a lot of money that way. Um, I'm also based in Colorado. So, you know, the overhead is, is less here. Um, but when it came down to it, I heard again and again the criticism that tick testing was too expensive, that it was a real barrier for people to just want to test their tick because they didn't, they couldn't afford it. And so a big part of the cost was just, I set a limit. You can get your tick tested for $35. This, this should be possible. And so um, since 2015, um, I've been working on doing just that and without having to compromise on the quality or accuracy or sensitivity of the test. And there's certain advancements that have allowed, you know, us to make such a broad panel. But honestly, the PCR is not so expensive. What might be expensive is other things um, such as, you know, the building and the overhead. So to do this project, I actually, um, I, I started um, my MBA. I, I was working at CSU at the time. So I said, well, I'll just, I want to learn a little bit more about business. So I, so I'm almost done with my MBA, but it's, it didn't do it for the, for the, you know, for the letters at the end of my name. I actually wanted to learn how to, how to run a, a tight ship. And so that was a big help. That was a huge catalyst that allowed that to happen. And then I, I just recruit a lot of the advocates. So um, instead of advertising, I reach out to um, nonprofits and my collaborators, um, Southern Tier um, and Lyme Western New York and um, Colorado um, Tick-Borne Disease Awareness Association and Live Lyme. And, and they believe in, in our mission and we share the same mission. So we work together to for that aspect, for the marketing and getting the word out um, and being part of that education um, initiative. So that's, that's a big part was just, um, you, you know, sharing a mission with others. I've also recruited other friends that have helped without pay. They volunteer. Our database was designed by a friend I met in Utah and, uh, and then I have a partner, um, Mark Dolan, who jumped on board and is in charge of our um, our medical entomology part of, of the lab. And, uh, you know, for a long time, we all took second jobs. Um, but now I think we're reaching a, 
a point where it's very it's going to be very sustainable. So it's it's a lot of different facets to bring costs down and to make things possible. But it it comes with just a desire to want to do it. That's just awesome. I'm so so glad you're out there doing this and at such a you know crazy affordable price too. Now, what's the best way to send a tick off to collect the tick and to make sure it's not contaminated or anything like that? What's you know somebody finds a tick on them or their child or their dog or wherever, and obviously we're gonna know that to remove it, you just pull it gently out with tweezers until it lets go. But once you've got that tick in your tweezers or in a little dish and it's crawling around, <laughs> what? Do you, yeah. how do you send it to you? Well, you know, a Ziploc bag and a dampened paper towel um, can be put in the bag to keep things from getting dehydrated. But basically, that's it. A nice, good, sealed Ziploc bag and you put it in there um, it, it's and if it's in pieces that's okay try to keep the pieces together it doesn't have to be alive um, a tick that's alive is, is going to be probably in the best shape um, but we get all kinds of, of ticks and even parts of ticks and we're able to to get good results from that but you double bag that guy for added security and and then you order a test online and and send it, send it to us. So everything is done online, which is also a huge cost savings to us because um, all the tick submitters enter their own information, um, and that information is then carried through the whole the whole test. That's a huge part of the cost savings. So there's no manual entry for us on this end. Um, once the tick gets to us, an envelope, you put the order number on it. I see who it was and. We'll take a picture of it and we'll say, yeah, we got your tick and this is probably what it is. And we'll, we'll send results by email uh, in a few days. It's pretty simple. It's super simple. So you have and to save your tick. So you have, you have <laughs> to save it in order to get it tested. <laughs> and is there, do you have any special like tis, tick sending in boxes or is that one way you keep the cost down too is you just rely on people figured that they're going to have a couple uh, ziploc bags hanging around yeah that's a good question we, we get that like i mean people do expect to be sent a kit um sometimes um but i find that it's not necessary to have a kit um and it's actually faster um, to get the, the specimen to us than for us to overnight something to be just be sent back. So no, there's, there, there's no kit. We do, we do have a tick remover on our website, but that really has, it's not required for the testing. The testing, you just need a, a Ziploc bag and an envelope and a stamp. But we do, we do ask that you track, you know, take good care with the shipping of that, like reinforced envelope and track it in case it gets misplaced or something oh somewhere do you have to put a biohazard sticker on it <laughs> no please don't do that <laughs> i don't think our mail carrier would would, would enjoy seeing that <laughs> does wait a minute so, so but this is kind of funny for sort of funny does he know that he's like delivering to you like dozens of ticks every day i think 
We're going to well, out you, you know, here. With, with, a, with a company, with a, with a lab name called Technology, I, I can't imagine it not being noticed. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's far, no, as long as it's me. within the United States, I think everything is, is hunky-dory. I think ticks are, are shipped all the time. You know, but both in research and 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 for other professional reasons. So, um, I don't I don't think it's an issue for them. And we have had some some envelopes that were ripped, and um, we've had some ticks escape during transport. Um, but um, once they get here, they're they're safe and they're not going anywhere. They they get killed right away and turned to soup. Tick soup. Now there's a there's a, excuse me, yeah. I'm hiccuping now. That's a scary thought. Okay, so just to reiterate, a little piece of paper towel or napkin that's damp, not wet, just damp. Put the tick on it, put that inside a ziploc bag, put that ziploc bag inside another one, just to be extra sure. And then should it be a padded envelope? Does that make things a little bit better? You know, one of those bubble kind of yeah, envelope things? Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, um, it, it's amazing how how much just you know en- envelopes can get destroyed. So in a in a padded envelope, it definitely helps keep things keep things keeps things together. So anything reinforced would yeah. be okay. So yeah. you don't, and we do get regular letter envelopes too. But um, sometimes those get ripped or bent and flattened. Yeah, they go exactly. Through rollers, so yeah. Yep. Yes, exactly. So the, and you can get those bubble envelopes right in a post office. The other thing that they have is those Tyvek mailers too, which are basically indestructible, um, and those are those are pretty tough as well. That's awesome. Anyway, so let's wrap this up. You've been incredibly generous with your time. I'm taking you away from testing ticks and helping people out (laughs) (laughs) oh why don't you give us like the basics what's your website sure it's um well it's technology.org okay and that's just like it sounds t-i-c-k-n-o-l-o-g-y dot o-r-g yes thank you yeah and in wrapping up what do you want people to know? It's like from from the scientist point of view, from the tick testing point of view, what's what's important for people to know at this point in time? I think from what I see out there, um, people need to be proactive about their health. I think that the tick threat is growing, um, and where there weren't ticks, there are now ticks, or now there's different ticks, and your healthcare providers. They're not going to be on top of these emerging um, situations. So I guess my take home is is be proactive and advocate for yourself. Um, Save your tick so you can put it in the freezer and it could probably last months to years. So if you never get that tick tested, well, fine, but at least keep it because just knowing the species can help narrow down um, some of the risks um, and educate people around you. So yeah, you know about tick testing, but not everyone knows that that's a service. Not everyone knows that they should keep their ticks. Not everyone knows that they should be aware of ticks. 
So share the information that you learn and um, help help your community be more aware and advocate. Heather, thank you so much. Thanks, McKay. This was a great interview, and you know, it was wonderful meeting Heather in person and getting to talk to her. She's really passionate about getting the information about where these different strains of Borrelia are showing up in the U.S., and she has a a great way of doing that. Getting a tick tested is poof poof positive (laughs) is proof positive that the disease is in your area again even if the tick you have is not lodged on you if you're getting it from a cat or a dog or you find it out in your yard somewhere send it off get it tested find out what diseases are in your neighborhood it's so important and again it's proof proof positive wow i'm having trouble with the proofs you can't argue with the facts. Let's put it that way. It's in black and white. It gets tested. There it is. Well, the haters will figure out something, right? Some of those docs, the Lyme idiot docs. What, do I, what am I calling them? Lyme idiots. Lyme idiots. Yeah, the Lyme yeah. idiots will figure out something to try and poke holes in it, right? It's not a lab that's situated on the dark side of a moon and protected with zero gravity testing equipment. So, therefore, it's not real or something like that. Thank you, Ticket Idiot. <laughs> if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button at the bottom of this on your phone. That way you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And an especially big thank you to Auntie Lala and Positive Vibrations 444. Thank you so much for your wonderful reviews. Yay, we got two new <laughs> reviews. Please, if you haven't left a review, take two minutes. You can just scroll down to the bottom of your podcast app on your phone. Just write a few words in there. Leave us a four or five star review. It helps us reach more people, like Aurora said. It helps us climb the algorithms within iTunes library. So thanks for your help. We need a couple more to start climbing back up to where we were. Climbing that ladder. Climbing that ladder. Here we go. (laughs) Just a couple more this week. Come on, you do it. You know who you are. You've been thinking about it, but you just don't have time. Make the time right now. All right. Didn't touch. (laughs) If you have feedback for us, constructive criticism, really anything at all, send us an email. At feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless you heard Rusty snoring in the background. And we left you with... A Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know there is a grizzly bear carpet in the ninja secret hideout? The bear isn't dead. It's just afraid to move. Lime 
Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.